0: Hi, and welcome to the Newberry Chronicles. This is a podcast where two readers go through every Newberry Medal-winning book, and then we talk about it. My name is Michael. And I'm Rebecca. And this time, we're in the 30s. The Great Depression is raging, and Elizabeth Coatsworth has written a book called The Cat Who Went to Heaven, and uh, it won the Newberry Medal in 1931. So um, before that, just a quick reminder, you can leave us feedback at newberrychronicles at gmail.com if you think that... Um, you have something to say to us, and we'll try to respond to you. We'll try to be kind. We'll keep the expletives to a minimum. Um, The other thing we need to do before we talk about The Cat Who Went to Heaven is talk about books that we have recently read. Rebecca, would you like to go first?
1: Sure. Um, I read a nonfiction book called Braiding Sweetgrass, and the subtitle is Indigenous Women, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. And it was, it is by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, this was a very good book. Not a book that would have been on my radar, except we had some people over to dinner from our church, and they suggested it to me, and it was very good. Um, church really people—they
0: sometimes got good book recommendations. They do.
1: Um, this book follows. Sorry, our guys. Dishwasher our just finished. dishwasher sang a little song for us. Um, Robin Wall Kimmerer, I don't really know how you say her last name, but anyway, she is a naturalist and also a scientist and she is an indigenous woman. And so um, this whole book is really talking about the beauty of plants, both in nature, but also scientifically and also exploring how um, as an indigenous woman, it was really hard for her to find her way in the scientific realm Um, Not because she wasn't good at science or didn't understand the material, but people, um, men specifically, did not take her seriously. Especially when she's bringing her um, like historical and cultural understanding of what the earth means for us as humans and um, what we can do for the earth and to the earth to take care of it. And I really appreciated her perspective on um, like she was really she spent some time talking about as a professor, how she would talk with her kids that were environmentalists and um, how they really could not recognize a way that um, mankind could benefit the planet, you know, could only identify ways that they have harmed the planet, which is fair. Um, But she spends time just unpacking, like, in her cultural understanding growing up and as an Indigenous woman, recognizing that... um, We we can take care of the earth and do so well. And um, I just really love how she wove together um, like her stories, both personal and those that she grew up with in her tradition, and also weaving that all in together with um, science and the workings of the natural world. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, so that was a good book. It was uh, well worth the read.
0: I wish but, I liked Gardening better. I feel like I know it's a character flaw, and also when our food system collapses, right. I'm going to need those growing skills for our family start. I
1: feel that way, too. Um, I, the reason why these friends recommended this book to me is because of another book I've talked about on this bod- podcast called Soil. Um, I think that the subtitle is a, a Black Mother's Guide to Gardening. Um, And I am not a gardener, but I got a lot out of both of these books um, anyway. But also, I am always well aware of my ignorance in this area and just my lack of skills whenever I read books like this. So it's good for me to read because it wouldn't naturally be on my radar and it just has a lot to say about um, society and and the world in that. But yes, I, I agree with you. Um, I also finished the fifth book in the Inspector Gamache series by Louise Penny. That book is called The Brutal Telling, and I'm not going to tell a lot about this book because I don't want to give spoilers away, and um, Michael's parents are also reading these books, and I'm a little bit ahead of them, so I'm really ready for them to finish this one so that we can talk about it, Um, but... Yeah, the Inspector Gamache series is really great. A friend of mine also recommended them to me, and they're just really fun. Each one is a murder mystery set in this um, beautiful town in... um, Beautiful, except that people keep getting murdered. But this beautiful town in... Canada. Gosh, yes, in Canada. And... Your dad and I were talking about how every time we read these books, we just get really hungry because they, they always meet at this lovely bistro where they have these just intricate, beautiful meals. And they're, they're like cozy murder mysteries, are these mm. books. So they're, um, I always feel like I want some wine and cheese and a crusty bit of bread as I listen to them. Like, you know, like, that's that. a way that people describe good bread. Is it? Like that goes with soup, like a crusty bread. Oh, okay. This is a thing. Anyway. I believe you. Um, that book was really good. I accidentally, I could not believe the ending, and so I made the mistake of looking up the ending to make sure that I understood what happened, and I accidentally gave myself a spoiler in the next book. So I'm a oh. little bit disappointed in that.
0: Well, um, I'm sorry. It's weird that they would have a spoiler for the next book in... The description of the it's previous It's because
1: one. it ties into the end of this one.
0: Oh, the unbelievable ending.
1: hmm Right. So.
0: can't believe they would do that.
1: I also read, finally, after being on a wait list for almost a year, I finally read Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. And it is everything that people have described, except nobody really described it to me. They just said it's really good and it's really intense. But it's incredibly good. Um, She won the Pulitzer for this. She co-won it with somebody else. Somebody else wrote a book and they, like, tied. Um, What are you doing? I'm
0: just looking at the lights. Michael's
1: distracting me.
0: I'm not meaning um, to distract.
1: This book is set in rural Appalachia and really untangles um, these experiences of different people, but mainly um, the the protagonist who goes by Demon and just exploring... um, what what substance use and and drugs, specifically opioids, have done to um, Appalachian communities, and I thought it was very artfully done. Um, wonderful story. Um, I just started reading Barbara Kingsolver this um, last year, and um, this one is by far her best that I've read. I have not read Poisonwood Bible, which she was um, was her most popular book. I feel like before this one. And it might still be her
0: most popular book.
1: She was nominated for the Pulitzer, but did not win for that one. And she did ah. win for this one, and she deserves it. The only complaint that I have is that I did not like the voice of the person reading in the audiobook, but that is, which I have also complained about her other books, because normally she reads them, and I don't like her reading voice.
0: She needs to, her her, <laughs> her, um, her publisher needs to step up their game audiobook Maybe book-wise. I just need to
1: read the um, physical copies is the is the answer. Also, I read Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, which I was also on a long wait list for that. And guys, I just, it was meh. I don't know. I don't know why people like it so much. It was fine, but that was all I can say. It's just fine. It's about this mom who um, is a scientist and is not taken, set in the 60s, she's not taken seriously at all as a scientist because she is a woman. Um, there's a love affair with this not even because he wasn't married, but you know, like there's a love story, um, with another scientist in the book and then she ends up having a cooking show. Um <laughs> what? Because <laughs> I because, was not
0: expecting that okay, to happen.
1: Well, it's like a really roundabout way, but the she does she does not want to be seen as like just this woman who cooks like this housewife who cooks so her whole cooking show is like a science show so she's explaining to the Mm -hmm. women all the mechanics of like the food and it makes me think of your dad honestly how he talks about cooking
0: yeah Um, well and he really liked that guy um hold on keep talking i can't remember yeah
1: so it's it was fun um i i do when i'm cooking now i think about how would the protagonist explain what I'm doing and at what temperature it needs to be to do its thing. So anyway, it was fine. It was just fine. I don't really get the hype because I don't I don't think I love the um, tone of the book. It's not like my type of book. It's kind of snarky, but also like um, criticizing. So it's like snarky and kind of silly, but also serious. And I just feel like I couldn't really get the, the heart of what... Um, of the tone, really. I had no problem with the story or the message or anything like that. I think it's just, like, the, the plot ended up being pretty predictable to me and in kind of, like, dissatisfying ways, I'll say.
0: Alton Brown is the guy I was trying okay. to think about, who I'm just now realizing on Wikipedia is also a cinematographer who shot an REM music video that hmm. I've seen. That was his big break, the one I love.
1: The last book I t- I know I've been talking for a long time. I feel like we're tired and we're kind of rambling, so... Um, It's only been
0: ten minutes, Rebecca. We've gone. That's
1: long for me to talk about the books I've read. But anyway, the the last one I have is "Truth and Beauty: A Friendship" by Anne Patchett. You guys, I have fallen in love with Anne Patchett. She's absolutely brilliant. This book is a nonfiction story, not a nonfiction portrayal of her friendship with um, Lucy Greeley, who was another famous um, poet who died and so this is chronicling their friendship and um just her life and it was um it was incredibly wonderful I wasn't sure how well Ann Padgett would do with the nonfiction book because I've only read her fiction and her it's just top not top notch superb wonderful um this book also made me very sad so don't read it if you don't want to be sad so that's what I read what did you read I read
0: I've read a few books Only one of them is sad. Um, So I read uh, The Eyes of the Dragon by Stephen King. I really like Stephen King, but I hadn't read a book of his in a while. And this book kept being imperiled in our house because there's a dragon on the front, and so I think (laughs) the kids thought it was fun. And so they would always... One kid in
1: particular.
0: Yeah, but multiple kids at different times, and they would always pull it off the shelf, and I had to tape the cover back on multiple times. Um... And uh, so I thought I gotta finally read this book before this is no more. <laughs> and um, it's basically it's kind of a departure for Stephen King, especially at the time it was written in the early '80s, I think. Um, and it's like a high fantasy, you know, kind of like a far cry from like a lot of the like horror, like, and modern fiction that he was doing at the time. And I, I think since he's kind of diversified his his uh, genre, you know, associations beyond just like a horror guy. But I think at the time it was. Pretty big departure. Um, and he apparently wrote it because he wanted a book that his kids would like to read. Um, and it's basically this story about this kingdom, and there's this evil magic wizard who's like manip- who manipulates the royal family. And... Um, evil magic wizard. I, I'm very... I'm also tired. I'm redundant yeah, right now. Yeah, it's
1: late, guys. I'm sorry. Um,
0: and anyway, um, this wizard... Doesn't really want power. He does want power, but mostly he just wants to cause chaos, and he just likes seeing things spiral into you know awful situations, and so he creates this elaborate plot to um, make sure that this kingdom fails in the bloody revolution um, by delegitimizing the monarchy. You know, which normally I would you know be a fan of, but this guy's not so good in this book. Um, and, uh, so he murders the king and, um, frames the, f- the son who was going to be the heir, uh, and is kind of groomed to be there, um, and everyone seems to really love, he frames him for the murder, um, leaving the second son, who's been kind of like a, like a screw up and hasn't really had his sights on the throne and is ill-prepared for the throne, uh. So he becomes king instead of his brother, who is then sent away into this tower, you know, and and locked away forever and all this sort of stuff. Um, And so then it's trying to figure out, like, how are they going to undo this so that the kingdom doesn't fall apart? Um, And I thought it was fun. It was was pleasant. Um, It's the first time that I remember. Stephen King does a lot of, like, interconnected stuff in his books where, like, a character from one of his other books will show up or they'll reference something from one story in another story. Um, and a lot of that's done through Maine, you know, all of his stories, or a lot of his stories are set in Maine, and so they'll like reference different locations and stuff. Um, but this story is, of course, not set in Maine. It's set in some fictional, um, you know, kingdom, but the the magician's name is Flag, which is also the villain's name in um, The Stand. And so that was kind of interesting. Um, I think it's like an early example of the kind of, you know, connectivity. That he would go into a lot more heavily later on by like the 90s um, so that was good um, I also read Rebecca got me this book uh, and I it had been on my on my radar um, it's the this book called the mysteries and it's it was written by Bill Waterson uh, uh, the cartoonist behind Calvin and Hobbes um, and illustrated by Bill Waterson and this guy named John catch uh, I don't know what what was illustrated by what um, my guess is that Bill Watterson did the backgrounds, and John Cash did like the people characters in the illustrations because I was reading up on him, and he's like a caricature artist. Mm. Um, but it's 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 a very big departure from Calvin and Hobbes in terms of tone and 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 stuff. Um, it's all this black and white, really, like you know, um, stark um, illustrations, and it's basically this this little fable about. Um, you know, how people will try to control the world, but, you know, in doing so kind of um, spell their own doom. Um, and so it's kind of like a dark fantasy sort of thing. It's it's very short. I read it in a few minutes, you know, it's a picture book, um, but it's like a picture book for adults. And um, I probably wouldn't have ever thought about it except that it was connected to Bill Watterson. And, you know, he's such a recluse these days and, only occasionally actually does work that people see anymore. Um, and uh, it's, you know, always good to have him show up. And it, it does feel kind of of a piece with some of the more like philosophically or uh, environmentally bent, like Calvin and Hobbes stuff that he would occasionally um, venture into. Um, anyway, I enjoyed that. Um, and then right now, um, the sad book I'm reading is um, I'm about a third of the way into a book called Ten Myths About Israel by I looked up this guy's name, uh, Elon Pape. Um, anyway, he's a uh, scholar. He's a Jewish scholar in Israel. Um, and this is, he's very upfront in the introduction that, like, you know, uh, he is writing a book to be anti-Zionist and basically views, like, Zionism is based on a bunch of myths that don't actually reflect, like, the history of Israel-Palestine and all of the relationships between those two, areas. And, um, so the book is structured around 10, like what what he views as like 10 myths that have allowed, um, Zionism to kind of prop up Israel into this kind of colonialist project that, you know, um, has been very harmful to a lot of Palestinians. Um, so it's not super happy, but it's good to read, good to know. Um, especially if, you don't really know a lot about that area, which is the case for myself. Um, and I've mostly just kind of absorbed stuff ambiently over the years. Anyway, so that's that's what I've read. This time I actually spent less time talking about my books I than know. you did.
1: I took a- too long. You didn't Sorry, take too long.
0: You took so. just the right amount of time. Because we don't have a lot to say about th- we I don't, don't. think we, don't have, we have a lot. I will say, The Cat Who Went to Heaven, our transition. We're, we're not talking about okay. The Cat Who Went to Heaven. <laughs> We both read this book weeks ago, but Uh we've been sick a lot, and there's just been a lot going on, and we kept meaning to have this podcast recording, um, and just now is the first time that we've actually done it. And so not only is this a small, short book, and not only did we read it several weeks ago, but I don't even think several weeks ago we had that much to say about it. No, we didn't.
1: But let me start by talking about the author, um, Elizabeth Coatsworth. She was born on May thirty first, eighteen ninety three, and um, beyond just winning the Newbery for this book in nineteen sixty eight, she was the runner up for the Hans Christian Andersen Award. Um, her father was a grain merchant, a, a prosperous grain merchant. You don't merchant. get
0: a, you don't get a name like Coatsworth and not no. become a prosperous merchant.
1: Um, in Buffalo, New York, she attended Buffalo Seminary, which was a private girls' school there. Um, was it a seminary? I, I feel like it's one of those holdovers from, like, religious institutions being the one to, like, start schools and stuff.
0: Oh, okay. So Maybe. she was not... At one point, like, I think last episode you was, mentioned that she was a missionary. Did that was become... incorrect. Oh, okay. That was
1: about another author who wrote um, The Young Foo of the Upper... Remember that book? The upper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get yeah. to it eventually. That That is the missionary. that, and So I okay. confused these two. Um She traveled a lot as a child. When she was five, she had already gone to the Alps and to Egypt. Like, her family, I think they were... I guess you don't become a wealthy merchant without making a little
0: bit of uh, world travel. Yes.
1: She um, graduated from Vassar in 1915. And Wikipedia says she graduated with her master's from Columbia in 1916. But I looked this up because I knew a lot of Ivy Leagues didn't accept women until, like, the 60s. Columbia, you guys... Did not admit women until 1981. Wow! Now, however, as with many of these Ivy League institutions, they had women's colleges and often would let women attend courses in the main. So I looked it up. There was a women's college. um, There still is called Barnard, which is like affiliated with. It's like it started out separate from Columbia, but now they have joined. Greta Gerwig graduated from there. That's probably and many how I heard other about people. It. Many other people, but regardless, I I was wondering if she graduated from there, but she didn't. So I don't know what wiki what, what Wikipedia is talking about. Um, or you know,
0: as a teacher, I feel knows? like I must break out the old chestnut of anyone can edit Wikipedia. That's
1: true. Regardless, um, Elizabeth did well in her life. Um, as an adult, she traveled to Eastern Asia and rode on horseback through the Philippines. She explored Indonesia and China, and she also um, slept in a Buddhist monastery. And so all of those experiences are, um, w- were heavy influencers on this book, The Cat Who Went to Heaven, which she wrote. Um, she actually began her career publishing poetry in magazines. Her first children's book was The Cat and the Captain, she likes so we cats. We see a theme. She also likes dogs. She wrote a lot of children's books, and she wrote books for adults, which I'll talk about. Do
0: they have animals in them? Um,
1: some of them. In 1929, she married writer and naturalist Henry Beston. I did not know who that was. Nor I. He wrote a famous book, something about the house. I don't remember what it's called. Oh,
0: the, that house put.
1: Mm-hmm. They had two daughters, Margaret and Catherine. Um, they lived in. Ingham, Massachusetts, and Chimney Farm, Maine. Um, she wrote a collection of books for adults called The Incredible Tales in the 50s, and those books tell the story of a family living in the forests of northern Maine who may not be entirely human. So that What's the rest in, of them? Cats? I don't know. It sounded intriguing. But she published over ninety books from 1910 to 1976, and one of them was her own autobiography.
0: We got to read it. Maybe maybe she she herself claims to have graduated from Columbia. I don't know. I should go read it. A woman spinning her own story. I don't know.
1: Her daughter Catherine, who what I think was better known as Kate Barnes, um, she also wrote, and she was named the first poet laureate of Maine. Wow, that's cool. Um, and then Elizabeth died at her Noble home, home, which was in Maine, on August 31st, 1986.
0: You know, she had five years to have enrolled in uh, Columbia.
1: She did. Maybe so that's maybe she it got was her like, master's. Maybe grad school Nobody killed her. set in 1960. Anyway, I don't um, know. It was just interesting to me because I was going to be really surprised if Columbia was accepting women at that point in time. So, over to you. Tell us about this book.
0: So this book, The Cat Who Went to Heaven, is about a painter, an artist, um, and his housekeeper. The painter is apparently, the artist is, is, is a starving artist. He's mm-hmm. very poor, but somehow can afford to live in help. So I'm not sure how that works. Um, but anyway, uh, he becomes commissioned by a local Buddhist monastery to make a mural in the monastery um, and the mural is supposed to encapsulate the life of the Buddha and be kind of symbolically connected with his, his like, teachings. And so the book is structured around each chapter. The artist is planning or painting part of this, this mural and uh, imagining himself in the story as part of his creative process um, and so it's basically retelling a bunch of these. I'm assuming they're retold stories. Like they, they have the feeling of like folk tales mm-hmm. or like parables from Buddhism. And I am not familiar enough with Buddhism to know if these are creative retellings or if these are fairly standard stories or what. Um, but that's the majority of the, the book. And uh, the cat in the title comes in because the housekeeper um, brings in this cat at the beginning of the story, um, it's like a stray or something, um, and the cat kind of has it gets a reaction to each painting. You know, the the painter will look to the cat and think like, "What does this cat think about this painting?" And kind of imagines what the cat would be thinking. Uh, apparently, and again, I don't know how much this is, you know, standard Buddhist uh, doctrine, or if this is just um, you know a conceit of this book or what, but. Apparently, um, the cats are not allowed in, into heaven in, in Buddhism for, for reasons that I'm not exactly sure about. Um, but not to spoil anything, but this cat does get to go to heaven. Um, and uh, by the end of the book, the cat has made it into the painting in the lap of the Buddha. Uh, so there's a sort of, I don't know if redemption is the right word, but sort of, um, the cat is redeemed throughout the course of the book, and eventually grafted into the, the the pantheon of animals who, who you know, are in service of the Buddha. Um, so, I don't know, do you think I covered, yeah, covered that? Yeah,
1: I, I do want to talk a little bit more about cats. The, the way that it's portrayed in this book is that cats are seen as like these very unholy creatures, like they're devils. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of the stories of Buddha honor other animals and the cat is never honored. And there was a story about the cats um that that explained that a little bit and I'm trying to find it. Um but as I'm as I'm finding it, this cat, the real life cat is very pious. This it cat is a very pious. Cat. This cat is very um Like, at one point, they they tempt it with a bird or something, or a bird comes in the house, and he doesn't harm the bird. Um, He is very careful. It's almost like the cat has human characteristics. And um, so the – and the cat is also lucky because it had three colors – Yeah, its white coat actually has three colors, which is considered lucky, which is why the housekeeper brings the cat home. Feels like the house is lonely, thinks his cat is lucky, brings it home, and the painter is very turned off by this cat in the beginning. And the cat, as it's looking at each picture, grows sadder and sadder as it realizes that all these other animals are um, welcomed by the Buddha except for him. And so when the painter finally draws the cat in the picture... The people that commissioned him to oh, yeah, paint right, it originally um, rejected it. And they said, no, you can't have this cat in this painting. Like, this is not going to work. But then the next morning,
0: there's been a miracle the picture has
1: changed. And the
0: Buddha is holding and, the cat, right? And
1: the cat, when it finally sees that the artist has painted him in the picture, it is so happy. Its whole life is fulfilled, and it dies. It just
0: drops dead on the spot, which and I it, was shocked by. I well, was shook by the... Cat dropping dead in the last pages of this book and
1: then the next day it says if the Buddha has and so the um, everyone realizes that this this creature is actually holy and um, like really it, it is redeemed like the cat yeah. in itself is is a redeemable creature um, at one, one more
0: thing I'll say about the the kind of format of this book is that at the end of each chapter we get a poem that is Apparently written by the housekeeper, and um, so you get kind of like this. It is really a book who's that has a pretty unique and and creative shape. You know, because you have the kind of narrative of like the housekeeper and the painter and the um, they're kind of fairly realistic dealings with like you know poverty and whatever. Uh, and then you have the label. Another a layer on top of that, which is the layer of these fables and parables, uh, and then on top of that, or I guess next to that, you have these bro- these breaks that have poetry in them, and um, I don't know. Like I was not expecting this kind of um, format breaking book to I I you know I don't know what I expected out of this book, mm-hmm. but it is it is pretty serious-minded and interested in playing around with form and i don't know there's also illustrations um it's not a long book it's um including illustrations it's probably like 50 pages or something Mm -hmm. like that um so rebecca what'd you like about this book
1: i love the illustrations i thought they were very nice um they're very pretty they're simple but they're pretty um i also i also like the idea of the everyone being redeemed by the end of the book and the idea of like this cursed creature not being beyond redemption and i thought that was a beautiful ending to it i also thought this is an interesting way to learn about the buddha's life especially if you're a kid um well i don't know not even especially if you're a kid i think it's a fun way if you're gonna tell the history of like a religious figure to tell it in these little stories. So I thought the framework was good for that. Um, what did you like?
0: I m- mostly the thing I liked was the, I, I just, I know like the very basic things about Buddhism. Like I know about, you know, Siddhartha going on his little quest and achieving enlightenment and becoming the Buddha. I know about like the four, is it four pillars of Buddhism or whatever? I know about those things. Beyond that, basically nothing I know. And so I did enjoy learning about this, um, and I thought it was a pretty approachable way to show the kind of principles of Buddhism. And um, so I was interested in that. And like I said earlier, like the format of the book is pretty unconventional, and I thought that that ended up being being interesting um it's not really doing anything esoteric or difficult like these sorts of books but it did kind of remind me of like modernist literature at the time you know like james joyce or um virginia Woolf or something in the sense of it kind of playing around with format and that that's only a tenuous connection that i don't even know if this author intended um, because it does not get, it's not stream of consciousness or anything like that. But it is a book that is not really content to be simply a novel or simply a picture book or simply a book of poetry or whatever it is. It is pushing into something that's a little bit different than that, mm-hmm. and I, I did enjoy that. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I enjoyed.
1: Looking um, back. One of the reasons why the cat is like condemned is because um, of its pride and sense of superiority and that it refused to bow to Buddha. You know, word, the other I, think, animals. I
0: think cats need to I be taken down reaching. a notch. I forgot about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, anyway, that's one of the reasons why I also forgot, y'all. We forgot that this cat's name is Good Fortune. Did you remember that? But
0: they name it Good Fortune they because, it it's, good lucky, fortune, like because it's lucky, like you mentioned
1: yeah um, what I disliked, I, I found this book to be kind of boring. It was. Boring. Um, it just with that I don't really have much to say beyond that. Um, and I also had the question of how he affords a housekeeper.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Does I have this question right? in a lot of books and I'm not sure if the if people if things just worked differently back then or if authors just are kind of blinded by their privilege, privileged backgrounds but it's like not uncommon in older books for people to be living in what appears to be fairly austere conditions of poverty and have servants and I'm not sure how that works Mm -mm. um maybe it's one of these situations where they're not really paying the servant they're simply allowing them to live in their house or I don't know what but um I had I had questions about that myself because it goes out of its way to talk about how poor this this artist is um yeah, what I, I think what I disliked about it, it's not like I said, it's not particularly interesting outside of the things that you learn about Buddhism through it. And it does very much have like the kind of tone of like something that's that's kind of either devotional or educational or didactic, um with regards to the teachings, whether you're kind of like an outsider just learning about the teachings or, you know. I don't know again, I don't know how faithful this is to like actual Buddhist teachings, but like I can imagine like Christianity, which I'm more familiar with. I can imagine a book like this about a painter mm-hmm. painting the life of Jesus in mm-hmm. the wall of a church and it being very boring because it's all the stories that we know from the Bible, like you know, the the healing of the lepers and the feeding the five thousand or whatever. Like I can imagine that being very um prosaic and uninteresting and it being a story just to teach children these kind of like theological stories and there's obviously a time and a place for those things but in terms of me as an adult just reading about it it wasn't particularly engaging Mm -hmm. so yeah good to you know dip my toe into the buddhist (coughs) tradition rebecca just knocked one of our son's toys off (laughs) of the table um but I think were I to actually sit down and want to learn about Buddhist teachings, I probably wouldn't like this format. Um I, I probably would choose, you know, an article or a book that's more nonfiction. Yeah. Um much as I like I said, I I was kind of intrigued by the format and, and everything.
1: Yeah. Well, thumbs up or thumbs down.
0: I don't know, like, it's it's like thumbs meh, you know, thumbs middle, because there's nothing I strongly dislike about it, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, quote unquote, but...
1: In terms of me enjoying it and recommending it to other people, I give it a thumbs down.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm thumbs down, but it's like, thumbs down because I think it just was not for me. Right. Like, I can imagine a world in which this appeals to somebody, Right, but it was not something that appealed to me very much outside of the small things I've already talked
1: about. Yeah, I agree. So. Next time. That's
0: it. Next time we're in the 1940s. And uh, what's the book that we're reading next time? It's
1: really dismal. I feel like the 1920s through the 40s is just dismal in terms of the book.
0: It truly is. Also, one of the things we realized in the 1940s is it is dominated by historical fiction and
1: dolls and
0: and dolls yeah multiple stories and sometimes dolls
1: dolls telling historical fiction (laughs) like so the
0: the doll that we are going to be reading about next time is miss hickory which uh won the newbery medal in 1947 and this is a novel in which the protagonist is a doll named miss hickory made from a forked twig from an apple tree and a hickory nut for her head hence her name This is the Wikipedia page.
1: Right.
0: Um, This podcast brought to you by Wikipedia. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see how that is.
1: Yep. Thanks for listening to us, guys, as we are tired and rambling. Um, Tired
0: and rambling and talked about the book about as much as we talked about the (laughs) other books that we read.
1: (laughs) Which were more interesting. Yeah, it's
0: a slim volume, The Cat Who Went to Heaven. I don't really begrudge us not talking about it a lot. Um, So anyway... I appreciate all of our listeners, and uh, catch you next time with the 1940s doll.
1: Please you, Mr.